the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back together. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We've got a couple of great guests again, as usual. Uh, Ron Kessler, the noted author, will be with us. He's an expert on, well, he's an expert on a lot of things, including the swamp, but especially Trump. Uh, He wrote books on the Trump White House, the Bush White House, the Secret Service, uh, intelligence communities at large. Just an interesting guy. We'll talk with Ron Kessler. And then we'll catch up with our old friend Adam Andrzejewski. Adam Andrzejewski is the head of Open the Books, an organization that puts trans, pushes transparency at every level of government. Okay, today, uh, let's start out with what you need to know. And what you need to know is the difference between Europe and America on immigration. And so, have you followed this? I don't think you probably have. Along the Polish border, there have been uh, a couple of thousand... A couple of thousand migrants trying to illegally enter Poland from Belarus. And they were allowed to get there by the Belarus government. And the Polish, the Poles, when they saw this was happening, what did they do? Well, first they had built a wall that you couldn't get through. Uh, It's like a double or triple chain link fence you can't get through. So what they did, first of all, was they sent more security to the border. And then when it was clear that it was a couple of thousand, not just a couple of hundred uh, of migrants trying to force their way into Poland, the Poles sent thousands, tens of thousands of troops. And they said, not coming into our country. Now, what's going on here? Well, first, you should know that the rules of the EU, the European Union, are such that if you are able to gain entry into any EU nation, you cannot be blocked from traveling to other EU nations. So let's be clear. When Germany welcomed a million immigrants, migrants, to their country, once they're in Germany, they can travel to Italy or France or England or Poland or anywhere else. Part of the EU agreement, it's called the Schengen Agreement, it was signed. It basically said, we'll have a border, but the border will be on the outside of the European Union, not within every nation. At least, I'm being a little dramatic, but it's certainly true. They cannot block people from going from place, from EU, EU country to EU country. So now what happens when Belarus, not a member of the EU, decides to allow and really probably fosters a whole pack of thousands of illegal immigrants to invade Poland? Poland pushes back and the EU says, okay. Now, the EU is not too happy about it. I think the member organizations would prefer that everybody be able to migrate wherever they want. And, you know, we are the world. There's no borders and all that. But they can't object because they have to have a border of the European Union. Now, I pause to contrast America. On our southern border, we don't have thousands of immigrants flooding towards our border. We have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. 
And what is our response? They're, they're allowed to get there by the Mexican government, by the Honduran government that allows them to come up in caravans. They're all allowed, if not encouraged, to go to the border. And what do we do? We say not stop, not you can't do that, not you keep them if you want them. Instead, we say open border. Joe Biden says, come on down and take a number and maybe you'll come back for a hearing or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll come back to be processed or maybe you won't. That's the difference. And if you don't think, if you see the Polish politicians, the Polish leaders, they're saying, hey, this is our very country at large. Now, let me, let me again pause and tell you something. Because I've been to Poland. Poland actually has a very vibrant, they need workers there. They have a very vibrant worker visa program. But you have to come in under their system. You have to come in under registration. You have to come in with an understanding that you won't be a citizen. You're coming into work for a limited time, then you have to leave. And the polls are very clear about it. And when you see the Polish politicians, the conservatives say, we're not only doing this because we want to put Polish people first, we also don't want the uncontrolled migration that brings in bad guys, that brings in people that are not assimilating, that are not going to be a part of the community. Maybe they're Islamic terrorists. Maybe they're just not assimilating. And so... Look at what's happening around the world. We have Kamala Harris in Europe saying out loud to people, oh, we're really watching this Polish border thing. We think that's a serious threat. We're really worried about what they're doing to the polls. Excuse me? You guys are doing it to America. It's literally happening to America on our border. It's literally happening on our border to America, and there's nothing being done. Now, my point here is simply that There is no end, of course, to hypocrisy. I've told you that. But my point here is that if you want to be a nation, Poland, U.S., you have to defend your borders. And it's no longer a a sort of close call, right? It's no longer a debatable point. You're either going to let your nation be invaded and transformed or you're not. And if you're not, you're going to stand up and build the wall and put up the fence and put the troops and stop them from coming in. And you're going to say, and you're, and what's happening, the interesting thing is Belarus is being treated like an adversary by the people who are uh, on the, uh, uh, involved. In other words, Belarus is being treated as if they are violating what is supposed to happen, and they're being treated as an adversary. It doesn't feel like that's happening to us with Mexico, does it? Because Belarus is actually being, people are actually, you know, talking about, should Belarus be uh, get more sanctioned? Should Belarus have to pay more uh, fi- uh, fines? What should they do? All because of what their decision is on this border. And my point here is we should do the same thing. We should do the exact same thing with Mexico. We should say to Mexico and be very clear that you are not allowed to allow these people to come in caravans and in buses and everything else. And if you do, you are committing an act against America. That's what's happened in, in, in the situation of Poland and Belarus. Poland is saying Belarus is attacking us. Belarus is attacking us and our sovereignty. That's what we should be saying. That's exactly what we should be saying when it comes to what's happening on our, on our border, on our Mexican border. It's very simple. It's very simple and it makes total sense if we'd go ahead and be smart like that and lay out exactly what's happening and, uh, and make it clear that we're not going to tolerate it. That, that's the only thing you can expect will get uh, the attention of the people 
in Mexico, in Europe, in, uh, in, in all over the country. That's the that's the number one thing. And so we'll have to see what happens in our own country. I mean, again, we're watching this closely in Europe and seeing and and really the funny thing is watching the EU. The EU wants to say borders don't matter, but they have to believe in the EU border. Right. So they have to sort of halfway defend. They sort of halfway defend uh, Poland in what they're doing, even though they don't really want to even though they're really not happy about it and they we would rather not they would rather not at any point be on the side of uh, uh of the uh of the Polish uh viewpoint because they don't want to agree with Poland on anything they fight with them on almost all the stuff so uh again we'll see what happens um and uh, we will get an update from that in a couple of days maybe I'll try to get the Polish uh our our friend in Poland on the phone and um and see what he says is happening there. Um, all right, everybody, we got some great guests today. We'll talk to them in a moment. Uh, don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for the daily email uh, at uh, the uh, ProAmericaReport.com, and also listen to all these great segments uh, that are available there. And uh, we will be um, posting them over there in just a few minutes after the show, and also um, uh, making sure that we update them as we go. All right. Uh, Ron Kessler coming up in a few moments, as well as Adam Andrzejewski. Stay tuned and tune in for all that. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's been far too long. He had a period of mourning after the Dodgers uh, did not win the World Series. Actually, uh, it was uh, more than... Uh, I, I, you were too upset. But Noah Dingley is back now with our segment, Noah Says What the People Want. And uh, first of all, do you want to recap on the baseball season or you just want to move on? No, let's recap. The Dodgers, uh, I don't care what anybody tells me, they were plagued by a lot of injuries. And even during yeah, the postseason, they lost Justin Turner. That was not a good thing. And they lost Max Muncy. So am I making excuses? Well, maybe a little bit. But I think had they been at full strength, they definitely would have gone a little bit further. But hey, the Houston Astros did not win. That's all that matters to me with all of their shenanigans. So, you know, God bless the Atlanta Braves for going well, all the way. Uh, but let me, ask you, let me ask you a different question about this, though. Because when a season ends like the, the St. Louis Cardinals, my team, they had five gold glovers, by the way. Five. Amazing. And uh, and they had... But they let, had to let a couple guys go. They they let go uh, Carlos Martinez, who'd been kind of uh, a soon to be star for about a decade, and then um, they had uh, oh man, the, the gosh, isn't that Carpenter? Is that his name? The, the uh, yeah, sure, one of our good. great Love infielders. Him. And they let him go. No, they let him go. They let him. He had he had kind of he actually. I hate to say this to you. He looked a little bit like Bellinger suddenly after years of just being a great player. Legitimately, he suddenly couldn't hit. And he's so they released him. They didn't take, think it's next. So what I want to ask you about is the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw does not get uh, a qualifying offer, which is the way to make sure that the um, Dodgers would get to keep him if they someone else grabbed him, matched an offer, or made a better offer. They'd get a, a draft pick. So uh, is this? Uh, are the Dodgers about to move on? Some of the old guard are going to go get moved out. I would hope not because I always say never, you know, did they fall short last year? They did. Uh, some of it due to injury, as I said. However, they had a really rock solid staff just top to bottom last year. And 
I think that they really shouldn't move around too many pieces, Ed. What I would do, now let's be honest, Kershaw is entering the latter phases of his career. Doesn't once had what he had. Still a really good dominating pitcher. Has had some injuries the last couple of years. The Dodgers, the one area that they have not really improved upon that I think would have got them all the way through the World Series, even with a couple of the injuries, was their bullpen is not as solid as it should be. So here's what I do with Kershaw, to be quite honest. I would say, you know what? We need to pick up Kershaw, pick him up, move him to the bullpen, make him your solid wow, relief really? middle man. That's going to get him a long really? way. I don't know. Does he want to do that? He's still a big time. No, I, mean, I don't the, know the if Kershaw would do that or not. Now he is a very big team <laughs> player. He, you know, he, yeah. he he knows he's good, but he also wants what's best for the team. I think he would do it. You really have to look at it. My son and I have said it for the last five, six seasons. If the Dodgers had a better bullpen, they'd win. They'd win more games. And again, they fell yeah. short this year. By the way, let me just be a little bit more respectful of those guys on, on the Cardinals. Carlos Martinez and Matt Carpenter, both key players for a long, many years. And uh, Carpenter was an all-star, so I think, three or four times, got MVP votes. I mean, he's a legit, uh, really valuable player. Martinez had some ups and downs. But, all right, so baseball is gone. Now, oh, let me get an update. I know that your significant other, uh, who shall remain nameless, has children school age. So let's talk about what are you hearing on the COVID stuff and on schools and back to school? What's the what's the scuttlebutt coming out of uh, folks right now? It just doesn't make any sense to me, Ed, because there's, you know, there's this huge push for kids to get the vaccine in order to be safe at school when for the most part, you know, and again, it's not uh, nothing is 100 percent, but it's very frustrating, you know, talking to uh, and observing you know different parents and sending their kids to school because for the most part kids are not susceptible to the covid i mean again there's always a chance and that they're they're also very uh much not likely to pass it on even if they do get it because they're going to be asymptomatic so these vaccine requirements i mean the mask thing i i, I almost get even though i'm not on board with it but you know you want to do a little bit of protection with your you know with with minor children uh, and you want to mix, mix, excuse me, masks in on there. I can even see that in certain situations. But vaccines, and I'm not the only one that thinks this. A lot of parents think this as well. Uh, for kids, it's not the right way to go. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Noah Dingley, the producer of the program, and uh, and Noah says is the segment, of course. Okay, uh, now you watched closely because we talked a lot about it. Uh, what happened in Virginia? You have watched for you know years and years, decades uh, politics. What's your feeling right now on where we are in terms of what's coming? Uh, I mean, obviously, if, you know, eight weeks ago California didn't have much of a change, right? There was uh, the numbers for the recall were pretty standard. You know, Democrats two to one. What are you feeling right now? couple of different fronts. First, let's talk election integrity, Ed. I have heard a lot of people see you say, we, we, election integrity is fine. We won in Virginia. No, you can't get complacent about that. We won in Virginia because you had enough parents that on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats and independents that were so ticked off that they were going after their kids with a lot of these, uh, you know, CRT uh, things in the classroom. And also parents don't have the right to... Um, uh, you know, speak out about what is being taught in the public school system for their children. The parents said, no more. We're not doing this. So we had a huge turnout to be able to win the governorship of Virginia. 
But you can't say that fixes the problem. We have to have election reform across the board, across the country, if we're actually going to have legitimately done elections. It's actually a good thing. One thing that I really don't understand what happened, give me your thoughts on this, it was a big win for Republicans. You know, despite everything that was going on, we finally had, I think, the biggest win that we've had in quite some time. And then what are the Republicans in Congress do? They say, let's give Biden the infrastructure bill. That, for me, was the biggest slap in the face that could have possibly been done by these rhinos. And I would never vote for any of them if it were up to me. Well, and I look, I think that, first of all, um, the frustration of uh, the conservatives, I'd say, or the, you know, the the um, patriot uh, group, uh, you call them MAGA or just call them patriots, whatever, at that conduct is uh, is, you know, real um, now. What's interesting about Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, you look at the numbers, MAGA voters turned out in, say, rural counties. Uh, uh, Youngkin, now the, the governor-elect, he, he got better performance in some of the counties than Trump did. Um, he did better in some of the collar counties uh, than, than Trump had done. Obviously, he did better with moms and all this kind of stuff. But what, what I thought the lesson, and so when the, when the swamp goes and votes for that, 13 Republicans vote for it. There had already been 19 Republicans in the Senate that voted for it. You're right. The p- Patriot voters look up and they're like, what? You just won. Why are are you doing that? that? But that's just because people don't realize the swamp is the swamp. It, it, it's not changing. In fact, one of my great fears is that right now there was an article yesterday in Politico that the uh, big um, lobbyist class and the biggest lobbyists, some of whom had stopped giving to Republicans after January 6th. There was a dramatic, we won't give to them. They they participated in uh, in this insurrection. They voted against it. They all said, uh, we're giving to Republicans now because they know it, it, uh, everything going the way it's going, it's going to be Republicans in charge. So they're buying the real estate. They're bu- they know what they're buying. They know the cost. So you're seeing tens of millions of dollars. There was an event, uh, I think it was um, Monday night down in Tampa. In fact, Donald Trump was the speaker at the National Republican Congressional Committee, raising tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're going to come in and buy this thing. The question is, do the people in power, Speaker of the House, whomever, realize what time it is? Because... If they go into office, say, let's say the Republicans win the House and they have a Republican majority, they're not going to get anything passed because of Biden. But if they go in and say Mitch McConnell runs the Senate now and they cut deals with Biden, the American people will do a pox on both their houses. The only thing that will make the Democrats look good is if the Republicans decide to become like them, which they will be tempted to do. Because they'll have people that come in and say, oh, you know what we'll do is we'll just do a massive spending bill. We'll give you a tax cut on this little thing, but we'll raise this, this, and we'll do more immigration and more green cards and more this and more that. American people will be like, we're sick of this. That's I, that's my worry. I, uh, so I think you're on the right track about what to be concerned about. I think they're already sick of it, Ed, because, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people. And I've been very vocal about it. Andrea K has been very vocal about it, that we, we know it's not a viable option. But if we could, I would go third party. I am so disgusted with the Republican Party as a whole. And you can literally count on one hand the Republicans that stand up for the conservative movement each and every time. And that's not going to be enough to get it done. And that's where I hear other people saying I do it myself as well. I will not donate a dime, a penny to the Republican Party. I will donate to individual candidates, those that actually make a difference in our movement, what we need for America, but never to the Republican Party ever again. You said something with your last response, and I want to get a feel for if you think it's actually legitimate, because at this point of the game, I really think to get back the reins of Congress, even though we don't have a majority in the House, it would really be the way to go. 
How likely is it and what do we have to do to let former President Trump know that he would make an excellent Speaker of the House? And can it actually be done? <laughs> oh, you're, you're singing my song. I mean, I tried it out, as you know, in Mark Meadows last week. I, I don't know. I mean, I think whatever it is, the agenda has to come from uh, President Trump. It has to make clear that this is what he wants to see happen. I, I don't know. I, it's my biggest worry. My biggest worry is that... Uh, we end up with majorities, and the majorities are – they think it's um, like Paul Ryan was, and they oh, think it's no, like uh, no, John no. Boehner was. And and I think you know that would lose the uh, – that would lose the base. But we'll have to come back to that. We've got to come back to that. We're, we're in too long. we got to, we got to go. It's uh, – Noah says goes on. The time flies. We will be – we'll have him back on again. I know as soon as I have him on, he engineers four or five of his friends and uh, people to send me emails saying have him back on, so we'll figure it out. Now, Ed, they're all uh, me. We better they're run. All the emails are from me. <laughs> you got all those fictitious email addresses. Right. All right. All uh, right. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend. He's been with us a few times now. Adam, excuse me. Adam Andrzejewski is, of course, the founder and the head of, uh, of Open the Books. Uh, OpenTheBooks.com. If you go there, uh, you will track everything down. He's got a piece up at Forbes uh, just from a few days ago that I wanted to ask him about. It's, uh, I guess, about a week ago now. Um, and Adam, first of all, welcome back to the program. How are you? Great to be on the program, Ed. Thanks for your interest in our work. Well, it's important work, and uh, what you're doing, again, it's openthebooks.com. You go there, you find all sorts of stuff that Adam Andrzejewski and his team is doing. But I wanted to follow up on this one. The feds pay zero claims for COVID-19 vaccine injury deaths. So I saw that headline, and I thought, okay, what does that mean? It means they... they um, they pay, and then I got because I thought, well, did nobody get sick? Did they just not pay? What was the story? <laughs> so walk us through. Walk us through. What, first of all, there is a fund, right, that's set up for uh, all of this. Is that what? So, so walk us through what you have here. So in fiscal year 2021, that ended about a month ago, right at the end of September, start of October, September 30th, the U.S. government paid out a quarter billion dollars in claims for vaccine-related injuries and deaths. So we took a look wow. at the details on that. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of money, Ed. Oh, nearly $5 billion since 1988 has been paid out of this fund. So we took a look, and we, we wanted to know which vaccines were paying out. And it's all the, quote, safe vaccines. You know, your kids have to go to school, so they get vaccinated. They get vaccinated nowadays for things like measles, mumps, chicken pox, uh, tetanus. You know, there's all kinds of vaccines. And this is why it has to be a marketplace of ideas, because even those, quote unquote, regular vaccines, last year, the feds paid out two hundred and forty six point nine million dollars in claims of injuries and deaths caused by those vaccines. But not a single claim was greenlit for the covid-19 vaccine. So, Adam, what's what's your what what do you think the excuse is? Do you have any guess? Yeah, well, they've made it really tough. Well, first off, not very many people know that they can file a claim for death or injury on the COVID-19 vaccine. So nobody really knows about the fund. And the reason why we know that's the case is because there's only 53 claims of of death from the COVID vaccine. Now, contrast that with the self-reported federal website where there's 16,000 claims of death, where families have put in their case examples of where their relative has died 
uh, from the COVID vaccine, 16,000 claims. And we took a look at that, and there's 5,300 claims where the person died on the same day they took the vaccine, the next day, or the day after that. So that's 5,300 claims that are, that in short order, a person died after taking the vaccine. Whether or not it was the COVID vaccine, that's not proven, but it's, it's self-reported on the federal website. There's only 53 uh, claims to the vaccine uh, death and injury site from deaths. Well, and so do you think it's a, uh, I mean, again, you know, we're, again, we're talking with Adam Anjevsky, and he is the uh, founder and the, the uh, head of Open the Books, Every Dime Online in Real Time is their tagline. It's great. Uh, OpenTheBooks.com. Lots of really interesting work, research work, digging in. It uh, doesn't matter what party you are. They're trying to get transparency on government work. Uh, but, Adam, you've observed a lot of bureaucracies, a lot of these kinds of things where there's a kitty full of money and somebody's in charge of it. In this case, there's a kitty full of money they're not paying it out. Is it your bet? Is it your gut that they're not paying it out because nobody knows to come claim it? Or they're because you would you be able to tell if they're denying claims? I guess you wouldn't. You'd only be able to see if they paid claims. Right. So are, is your gut That's tell true. you that they're d- denying claims? Well, my gut tells me is that they're slow walking everything and they've made it extraordinarily hard, hard to file. I'm going to give you three reasons, Ed. Number one, okay. no attorney's fees. If you claim an injury or a death because of the COVID vaccine, you're on your own. They're not going to cover your attorney. And that's different oh. from the normal vaccine fund. They pay your attorney's fees. Here's the, here's the second point. Injured children are going to receive small or no payouts from the COVID vaccine. An injured child would only be reimbursed for reasonable medical expenses. If, if the child survives, there isn't a death benefit, and they're not employed, so there's not any other oh. compensation. I the, see. Uh, okay. This, the, uh, the COVID fund does not pay out for emotional distress or anything else. Um, and that's, again, uh-huh. that, that differs. Here's point number three, narrow when to file a claim. You have a year. If you die or claim an injury because of the COVID vaccine, you've got a year to file your claim. And that's different from the other vaccine fund. You've got three years. So they've really tightened the rules and they really put the screws to people on the COVID vaccine. And, you know, if I had to guess the reason why is because they have to keep a narrative that this thing's perfectly safe. Right. Exactly. I mean, that that feels like, you know, can't read their minds, can't tell for sure, but it feels like uh, what the angle is. Again, we're talking with Adam Anjevsky. His uh, organization is Open the Books. Go to OpenTheBooks.com. You'll see lots of the uh, stuff there. Um, Adam, I've always wondered about this. Uh, like Project Veritas got dinged, and I know you're not a you're not a uh, a journalism. You know you you don't position yourself as a journal journalistic formally, but you do a lot of research. And you're the point for what you do is you do it and you publicize it. You don't just do it. You're not just a think tank that's thinking together. You say, hey, here's what we found. Look at this. And you're very nonpartisan. I know you ding lots of Republicans for being wasteful and stupid and all that too. But have you guys been canceled? I mean, how, how, how have you how have you not been targeted? Because you make life miserable for a lot of people that don't like to be made miserable. I I don't know. I, I chalk it up to St. Michael, the archangel. I guess at the end of the day, that's, <laughs> that's all that's all, all of us have, you know, is we, uh, yeah. we have to have a big archangel on our side. And I, I, I do chalk it up to that all, in all seriousness. Um, look, as far as we can tell, we've never been canceled, you know. You know, can I get these right. findings on CNN or MSNBC? And the answer to that is no. 
But we, you know, we've been able to work with, for instance, American Greed at CNBC. A very good relationship there, you know, on the con and Congress, exposing congressional corruption. And that episode, I encourage right. everybody to watch it. That aired in June. We've partnered with the New York Times on investigations. On one of the biggest investigations was the rat problem in New York City. And to this day, if you Google that article, a little gray rat runs across the base of your computer screen. You know, we, we partnered with USA Today on looking into nonprofit hospitals that are racking up big profits and the oversight of the American Rescue Act in the in the last March. So, so I'm proud of the fact that we can kind of cross the the mainstream journalistic lines and and produce pieces that can be consumed by all people. Uh, Adam Anjewski, we're getting towards the end of the year. Do you guys do a year in review? uh, Like, uh, I don't know, like the, uh, I don't know, you should call them like the Christie's, the crystal uh, transparency awards. Is there, do you, you you do come out with some reports down the stretch that people might be interested in. Tell me, tell me, I guess maybe what's 2021's most, what's your proudest work in 2021? There's a lot of proud moments, but I, the two. Uh, one is in January, and everybody will recognize this story. We were the ones at Forbes in my column. We broke national news that the number one most highly compensated federal employee is actually Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, so right. that was that wow. was a big moment for us. That was a big story for us. And then the second one that I'm most proud of is in August. We were the ones that quantified the amount of weaponry that the through the generosity of the United States taxpayer that we left behind in Afghanistan. And whether it was the BBC or Fox News, we led newscasts on those national TV platforms and international TV platforms. Uh, and a lot of the coverage, even the Washington Post, was citing our work while they fact checked everybody else. Uh, we're talking again, Adam Anjewski, OpenTheBooks.com. Uh, Adam, the the move for tra- uh, for transparency. I mean, you your your work is succeeding, I'd say, and you're kind of getting more uh, momentum and credibility and profile. Is it catching on in the in the public sector? Do you see elected officials who are coming into office saying, "I want to be more transparent," or is it sort of you kind of get a new batch and you have to break them in and you have to teach them? And I mean, or is the transparency movement growing? Yeah, I I think it is. You know, we've got 49 now out of 50 states where we get their line by line checkbook expenditures. And hopefully this Friday in a in a Sacramento, California circuit courtroom, we're going to pick up the 50th state. We think we got a great chance to win our lawsuit. We've never lost a state transparency battle. We had to sue Republican Illinois back in the day and, and Republican and Wyoming back in the day to open up their books. We think we win in the Golden State as well. And we open up that checkbook for the first time in history to scrutiny. Wow. That's going to be a big one. Actually, that'll be a huge one. Uh, all right, Adam Anjewski, as always, uh, thank you for all you're doing. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Uh, Adam's column uh, runs over at Forbes. I'll post it up, the one about the injury fund, the COVID injury fund, as well as, of course, openthebooks.com. Lots of there. there. Thanks very much, Adam. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Joe Biden's move to require the COVID vaccine for employers who have 100 or more employees only reveals the dictatorial tendencies of his presidency. Even before his mandate, untold numbers of Americans had decided to not work rather than take the shot. The number of unfilled jobs increases to a new record each month, it seems, 
reaching well over 10 million open positions. The clueless so-called experts are looking for a reason why there are so many unfilled jobs, while nearly as many are on unemployment. This mismatch is partly due to unjustifiable requirements of receiving a COVID vaccine in order to get or keep a job. Co-CEO Meta Bugal of Forever Floral told the media, I assume I'll lose 30% of my workforce. He pointed out that his company, which sells floral bouquets, has 130 workers and cannot afford to deal with a vaccine mandate or funding the cost of weekly testing. Our economy cannot recover if more than 10% of workers quit their jobs or skip work. Just take a look at what is going on in the airline industry. Flights are being delayed or canceled left and right as airline staff fails to show up. Just imagine what could happen in other sectors of the economy if this problem spreads. Far from encouraging employment and good health, a vaccine mandate with a 100-employee threshold would only encourage companies situated just above the threshold to fire or let go workers. By the way, it's worth noting that the 500,000 postal workers were not included as federal workers under Biden's command. U.S. Postal Service employees receive government paychecks, but their union supported Biden for president, and he's apparently returning the favor by treating them like private employees rather than as part of the federal government. Obviously, Joe Biden cares much more about political expedience than he does about the effectiveness of the vaccine. The federal government has no business telling businesses how to conduct their business. If a business wants to require the COVID vaccine, they are exercising their right to make a really poor business decision. However, the government does not have the same luxury. Top-down federal COVID vaccine mandates have no place in a free society. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Pro-America Report. Hey, so I want to give you an update on something I'm seeing. I'm not sure if you're seeing it well, but it sure looks like the Democrats are trying to get uh, a, a new choice to be the next president. Now you say, well, it's only 11 months, 10 months into the Biden administration. Well, it's pretty clear Biden's not going to run again if he lasts the whole term. But here's what's interesting. Uh, Kamala Harris's numbers are so bad. I mean, she's actually she's less popular than uh, Biden is. I mean, by a, by a chunk. He's at like 38% approval rating. She's at like 25%. She she can't do anything that's not really tin-eared. She doesn't look or sound right. She doesn't sound serious. So she doesn't seem to be an option. And the way you can tell it's really true is over the weekend, CNN had, I don't know, three, four articles on how she's not getting it done and she's not fitting in and she's not playing along. Now, when I first started to see those, I thought, well, maybe they're trying to position it that she's being slighted to give her some distance from the failing Biden. I think it's the opposite. I think it's Biden trying to get distance from her, his people. But here's where it gets interesting. 
Pete Buttigieg should have been doing a victory lap this weekend and been the guy who got a a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill to control. At least hundreds of billions would pass through the Transportation Department where they, you know, greenlight things like, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, build this road or this highway and and build this federal building in this order. You know, the, the Department of Transportation, some of that money would be targeted to states by name, but it would be up to the Department of Transportation when to do it and how to do it. So it's a lot of power. Except, lo and behold, over the weekend, Joe Biden's White House announced that uh, the, the former mayor of New Orleans and former lieutenant governor, a man named Landrew, uh, I forget his first name now, the mayor Landrew, so I can picture him, a uh, bald-headed guy, his, his sister was a senator, and he has been named the guru of all the, of the infrastructure bill. So what happens here when suddenly the, the, uh, the rug is pulled out from under... Uh, the Buttigieg, Mitch, Mitch Landrew, Mitch Landrew is the guy who's been named. So, you know, so Buttigieg doesn't get to do the victory tour and the victory, uh, you know, deal where he's in charge. Um, but instead, it goes to Mayor Landrew, Mitch Landrew. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Kamala Harris is getting iced. Who who's on deck? Who's up next? What are they what are they angling for? Because they're they're clearly CNN did piece after piece. I mean, three or four basically saying she's ill at ease. Kamala's ill at ease. She didn't get things done. She's not working well with anyone. She's got staff problems, this and that. And the other thing that's CNN. And then Buttigieg gets iced. So I was thinking about it, and someone was saying, who could be next? I mean, is it a senator? Maybe it's Klobuchar, I guess. But the guy I have to tell you who I think is the obvious candidate who is going to be the one that they turn to to run for president is none other than the governor of California. And the reason why, don't forget, is because you have to have a candidate who can raise gobs of money, and being governor of California gives you access to tons and tons of money. They have to be tested, meaning they have to be vetted down to the last, you know, bottom, you know, bottom of the barrel. Which is certainly true of uh, of Newsom, who had to go through an election and then a recall. I mean, again, I don't I don't like his politics at all, not one bit. The other thing is, you've got to remember, politics, especially at that level, is all just a sales job. It's all popularity contests. That's the way a phrase my wife uses. So you can say, well, I don't I don't like Newsom. We know him better. You know, out in California, we we know exactly who he is. But he looks better than. Kamala Harris. He looks better uh, than a lot of these people. He's got a you know a, a photogenic wife and some kids, and he's got all this experience. I think that's what's going on. I'll make the prediction right now. You're going to see Gavin Newsom be offered, not by him. He's going to look like he's reluctant. He's going to be offered as this sort of, oh, well, you know what? We need somebody who can be attractive to uh, the middle America, to people. And, and again, I, I don't think it will work because California's policies are too far out. But in terms of popularity contest, he looks and sounds better than Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, even Pete Buttigieg. He looks like a professor or Alfred E. Newman. Isn't that what uh, Trump called him? But something's going on. I mean, think about it. Who else is it? Cory Booker for president? I don't think so. You know, is there Beto O'Rourke announced that he's going to run for governor of Texas? And I want to say I want to reach out to Beto and say, Beto, man, you got to know the bad cycles are coming. You you're not going to win anything in Texas. Beto O'Rourke is not going to win dog catcher in his hometown. Not in 2022. There's no way. The energy's on the other side. He should have. Someone really gave him some bad advice. He should have sat that one out. But so who else is it? Who, you know, name a senator. 
Name a uh, prominent governor who could be the one. Terry McAuliffe was supposed to be in that position, but he lost. So it it looks to me like they're clearing the decks, and the obvious person they're clearing it for is Gavin Newsom. And I think think the reality is that uh, he'd be competitive. Let's put it that way. He'd be the kind of guy that could raise the money and also have gone through the ringer and have the right kind of profile to get through a primary and then to turn around and say in the general, look, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm a dad and all this kind of stuff and try to soften some of the stuff. Because remember, Democrats in a national election start with a built in advantage. California, New York, four or five of those states that uh, Massachusetts deliver a whole bucket of electoral votes that are m- more significant in number than the Republicans who have Texas, Oklahoma, and a few others. It's, a, it's just a bigger number that go to the Democrats. So all they have to do is go into a few places and so- sound and look better than the other guys and raise the money and be able to withstand the crucible. Feels like that's what's going on. All right, everybody. Listen, thank you for tuning in today. I want to say thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, as always, for keeping things on track. Uh, Joanna Spilger for helping book our guests and you for listening. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily email and also listen to these great segments again. Pass them on to your friends and follow us on social media. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.